Welcome to the Highway Freaks. We interview musical artists, people in the news, truckers, songwriters, 80s rock bands, or anyone we meet on the road. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. And now, J-Man, the Snarl, Motorhead Mark, Wing It Will, Canadian Lady Trucker Janet, and the Pink Bombshell. This is the Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. Yes, this is Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. And I'm Bry Guy, your host. And this is visit number 41. Now, we weren't on last week, and I need to apologize to some of our local freaks out there that download our podcasts and stream it. Um, well, we are what the slogan says, Real Truckers, Real Life. And I know Birdman and I were off trucking. J-Man was on vacation on his camping trip from hell, which he had on the last podcast. Uh, Motorhead Mark, we haven't had him for a long time. Uh, he's uh, definitely burning the candle at both ends, working a job and, and uh, doing his racing as well. And Canadian lady trucker Janet was on her back. Well, no, let me rephrase that. She was incapacitated health-wise on her back. And Pink was working late. Yes, uh, Pink was working late again, and she's doing that tonight. So she will not be on tonight, guys. So uh, we have our panel along with Motorhead and Mark. So thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast tonight. So... Uh, we do feature part three of the Brent Derner interview from the eye-opener interview that I did with him. Uh, Brent has his current band, My Wicked Twin, and he's formerly of Helix. So that will be pretty cool. Birdman Bruce is going to tell us about 18-year-old truck drivers being recruited in the United States. That will be an interesting topic. Canadian lady trucker Janet will explain to you how a drunk lady trucker in Quebec got her job back after actually having a DUI. That's one thing you just will not believe. G-Man the Snarl, he's got four celebrity deaths to talk about. Winget Will is going to talk about a cloud company that assisted 17 different government hacking groups. And Motorhead Mark, very shortly here, is going to tell you about PTSD, and I think that's very, very common. And not... The last, but certainly not the least. I'm going to tell you about a scam I did back in 1983 when I was a cab driver in Peace River, Alberta. And you definitely might want to record this one because this is going to be a classic on the Highway Freaks podcast. So let's get into it. Welcome back, Mark. Glad to have you. And, uh, well, you want to talk about PTSD, so we're going to let you have at her. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for having me back, Brian. It's certainly been, as you say, uh, a struggle burning things at both ends, burning the candle at both ends. You know, working 10 to 12 hours a day, driving a truck, and then working in the shop four to six hours a night, trying to get our race car and our race team prepared to go, and we finally made it out last weekend, so we're very, very happy about that. But it, it, it definitely took its toll, on it. and I apologize. That's the biggest reason why I haven't been able to be on. Um, I did mention to you earlier, Brian, that I would like to just very gingerly broach the subject of PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of people suffer from it, but, and they're not even aware that they suffer from it. I, uh, I wasn't aware of it until after I got out of the uh, Canadian Armed Forces. And the reason why um, I finally found out is I, I was struggling with my life day-to-day, I was struggling with oppression and depression. I was 
were struggling with being able to keep a cognitive thought. And it, it just became a, a challenge for me to get through the day emotionally. So I finally started to seek out some help. Um, and I, unfortunately, the beginning of my PTSD started from when I was a young child. I, I had a very um, physically brutal upbringing. Um, unfortunately, my father was a hands-on kind of dad and not the kind that is uh, the teaching kind of hands-on. He was hands-on very physically. And I didn't really realize that that affected me as much as it did. And I've, I've read lots of books about it, but never really uh, antiquated it to my own life. So with the help that I got, I realized that my my struggles started all the way back to when I was uh, a four-year-old boy. And I learned how to lie to get out of trouble and to get out of a beating. And that's something that followed me through my entire childhood and into my adulthood. And um, the beating I took got worse and worse the older I got and tried to relay that into everyday life. I became afraid of everything and everybody. I, I had so many different um, avenues of fear that it was... Um, it wasn't easy for me growing up in in the way that most of my friends were growing up. I'd see my friends go to school. I'd see them come back home from school and have a have fun at home and do a few chores and then be able to go out and have a bit of a social life. And I uh, I always wished I had that and I never had that. And I never got help for it. I used to have reoccurring nightmares about my father and myself that were absolutely horrific. And it's not something that um, I wish on any child. No child should have to be put into the hospital um, because their parents um, hurt them. No child should have to have nightmares because they're so afraid of their family and so afraid of their parents or parents. And um, forward, fast forward into graduating from high school, I was, or almost graduating, I should say, I, I was beaten in high school. I was beat up weekly, sometimes daily. The bullies would pick on me, and I was a target, and I was a victim. And I didn't get help for it. Mom and Dad would just say, suck it up, you'll be fine. You know, move on, next day, let's go, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And that's what you had to do back when I was a kid. Nowadays, things have changed, and there's far more avenues out there for children and adults. Um, when I joined the Army, I was afraid of authority. I was afraid of my NCOs, which is a non-commissioned officer. I was afraid of instruction. I was afraid of what I was being trained to do, was being trained to be a soldier. Well, part of being a soldier is even though you do target practice, you're being trained to kill. You're being trained to become a machine. And when I entered the Canadian Armed Forces, I was just about 18 years old. I had to get my family to sign me in so that I was eligible to carry on instead of becoming a reservist. I went into Reg Force right away, right out of high school. And um, it started all over again. I wasn't beaten, but I was browbeaten. I was um, yelled and screamed at every day. I was being yelled uh, orders um, inside and out every day, every hour of every day until it was time to get the rack they would yell and scream orders or they would yell and scream how to march. They would yell and scream how to fire a weapon. Um, it, it just went on and on and on. And eventually, when I left the, the forces, um, I moved back to British Columbia in 1985. 
and struggled to have relationships with my friends, struggled to have relationships with women, and it continued and continued until finally somebody said that I might need to start seeking some help because I had anger issues, I had violence issues, and uh, I finally started to consider reaching out, and I, I finally did at a place called Pacific Center in uh, Machosan on Vancouver Island, and that's when they started seeing some pretty serious symptoms with my my behavior, with my emotions, with my reactions, my answers to some questions, and off and on since about 1994 until last year, last spring, I, I sought out help from time to time when I saw myself slipping back into some of my old habits and my old behaviors. And it's, it's a challenge to be a grown man and to be a father and a grandfather and to see the way people treat people. Sometimes you want to go and defend somebody. Sometimes you want to go and help somebody. And all I can do is give people the time to speak and say, say their truth. And I've learned to stand on my truth. And my truth is I am somebody who's been damaged. And I'm not afraid to say that from time to time I'm going to need some help because it's not easy to have that many years of suffering and battling all these different avenues that sometimes can come across very dark and very scary. So my advice, even though this is a really short, short blurb about PTSD, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help. And don't be afraid to listen when somebody wants to try to help you because I shut it out for a long time. It's not easy but it's so worth it and it makes your life so much more fulfilling when you can become the person you were always meant to be and who you were born to, maybe not who you were raised to be because of my situation and many, many, many others. But somehow, some way, we're put on this planet for a reason and I believe mine is to help. So that's what I, that's what I wanted to share tonight. Thank you. Well, I, for one, applaud you for opening your heart like that to all our freaks on this podcast, Mark. Not only are you my friend, but you are an excellent addition to this podcast, and I really miss you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stand tall, man. Like, thanks, guys. You went the opposite of what I went. Um, I used to, I mean, up until I was 13, I mean, I would cry just for no reason because I was just, I, I was either getting the shit beat out of me at home or I'd get it from the bullies at school. And then one day... I became this absolutely violent kid. I mean, I it didn't matter. I'd kick the door down in a, in, in a classroom, walk in and kick the f*** out of a kid. I went completely the opposite. And that's the problem. I had my violent times, believe me. You know, um, I didn't know, I didn't actually get help until I was 38. And it was my ex, it was my ex-wife because I chased a guy through a warehouse and uh, was trying to break the door down in the uh, shipping office to get at him. I was going to cave his head in. And uh, that's when they, I get it, you know, and it would, and it wasn't even his fault. You know, you just, I would just lose my shit. And, you know, there is help out there now. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yes, there is. You know, um, I, I, I like the poor guy out of a car window. I know exactly. 
Exactly. And, you know, if you don't get, like, this shit isn't normal. You know, it's repressed memories of horrible shit that you went through. You know, we all, and, we all have anger management yeah. issues. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my mom could tell you stories about me, uh, but we won't get into that. So, uh, but no, that's, that is really good. PTSD is something that's very yeah, common. Okay. My, my mother suffers from it to this day in a different form. Uh, she, uh, she actually, after I took her on a truck ride uh, from a different company, uh, she was very dis, in very, uh, a lot of discomfort. And little did I know that she actually had a perforated bowel. And she almost died. Well, she did. She actually did die on the operating table. And she came back. And uh, she suffers to this very day from PTSD. She cannot go into a bathroom, like in a Walmart. She has a panic attack. She just told me about her panic attack she had in the dentist chair. Okay? It's a very real thing. So you can have it in so many different forms. And uh, oh, yeah. Uh, my, she would barely, well, she wouldn't get in my brother's car, but she would get in a, a, this big Freightliner truck that I drive. And she, at first, was very uncomfortable. But once, uh, you know, she sat down and she realized the room that was in here, she was okay. And now, to this day, she's overcome that. But she still has her panic attacks. So, uh, uh, yeah, PTS, PTSD is a real thing in all every shape and form. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, we're going to get into some music. I did mention, uh, I don't know if I did mention it. Actually, our house band is called Fist. They are iconic uh, rock group that we have been using on a show for probably the past uh, three months. And Brent Turner from My Wicked Twin is also going to be on here tonight. So we're going to play some of his music. And um, it's called My Susceptible Heart. Step into
sorry for what you had to go through, Mark. That's that's horrible. Uh, you know. Thank you for that. You know, and and I give you a lot of credit because there's a lot of people that can come and talk about it, right? So I know that's an uneasy task. So it can be a challenge for sure. Yeah, it can be. It can be. There's, I imagine, some days are better than others. So now I'm going to talk about the um, Quebec Trucking Company that was ordered to reinstate a driver which was fired for drinking and driving. Now, this company um, doesn't really say how long the how long the driver had been driving, but this is a union situation, unfortunately. And um, so the trucking company was ordered by the court to reinstate this driver who had been fired for drinking at least nine beer before she lost control of her truck on a Pennsylvania highway. Now, <clears throat> the driver's actions basically amounted to serious misconduct, and her drinking, the claim, is as a result of a disability, which they claim is alcoholism. Um, the trucking company, uh, Gert Talbert, should have made um, a reasonable, they say they, they, they should have made reasonable accommodations for her um, based on what the labor, labor arbitrator um, to get April said in her written statement to why in light of the accident, she needed to drink, she said. She admitted that even though she knew she shouldn't, the need was stronger, just like something she couldn't control. Um, the company found the driver after she had been involved in a single vehicle crash shortly before midnight on June 30th, 2022. Um, the facts of the case say that the driver stopped twice to buy six packs of beer as she drove from a Montreal suburb to Pennsylvania. The woman admitted drink, uh, that she drank at least nine beers during the trip, but she said she didn't even remember whether she drank the final three on the road. Um, after the crash, which damaged the truck and caused no injuries, she was arrested, arrested with a blood alcohol level of 0.18, more than twice the limit. Uh, the driver basically told her employer about her drinking problem about a week after the crash, uh, one day after she sought medical help to stop drinking and she was officially fired August 31st uh, after she completed an inpatient addiction treatment program. So it sounds like they let her go after she had completed the program. Um, <clears throat> driver told the arbitrator the company could have installed an alcohol testing device in her truck after the crash or found other work for her. Now, part of the issue with this is most companies uh, have a sign as drivers uh, a no drinking clause on the contracts that we sign with the company. And this is the case for her as well. Um, they basically, uh, the penalty for drinking and driving is immediate termination of employment, which is in, the, in that contract. So the company says, quote, to appeal the decision. Um, they believe that safety of all road users is an absolute priority. And I have to agree, agree with them on that. Um, there was a, uh, like the decision to fire the driver was not taking le taken lightly. Um, they feel that they have a responsibility to the community to ensure that the employees meet the highest safety standards. And I have to agree with that because, I mean, like I said, we're all we all sign those uh, those contracts when we start driving, and in the contract, in every one of them I've ever signed in, you know, 31 years of of my my experience in the industry, 
it's always had that clause in there, no matter what. And, I mean, from a safety standpoint, yeah, should not be drinking and driving. I mean, pilots can't even drink within 24 hours of uh, a flight for that, you know, because it does affect your perceptions, right? So so what have you got to say on the subject there, uh, Brian? Well, I I think it's yes. I honestly do. She drank. She signed a contract that says you don't drink. We all know you don't get in an 18-wheeler and drink, period. And I don't think she should have been reinstated for a job. Absolutely not. Not, not, not. What do you think, Birdman? I was a trainer for a large trucking company, and that was one thing that we were told to drum into our trainees that absolutely positively abstain from drinking. If possible, even if you're doing your 10-hour or a 34-hour, try to avoid it. Now, I never, you know, brought it into them. I said, listen, if we're doing a 34, you want to have a beer with your dinner, by all means. But 10 hours before, I don't want to see anything in your hand. I don't want you yeah. touching a drop. What do you think, Mark? What's your opinion on that? I'm kind of sort of along the same line as you, Brian. I... Uh... And, and you'll remember this. I lost my sister to an overdose. An overdose. And when it comes to drugs or alcohol, I think there's a time and place for whatever your indulgence is. But I don't believe, and never have believed, that when you're on the job, you should be allowed to indulge at all. So getting the job back after you, this uh, lady trucker was drinking, driving, and crashed, I'm sorry, you lose your license and don't come back. Uh, how whatever loophole they use to get her her, her job back, I think that's I, I I'm not in, in agreement with that at all. I really know. Well, I you know you mentioned losing the license. I'm surprised she still had a license after this. Okay, so I I, I I'm sorry to interject here, but she didn't get her license fully reinstated. What it, what happened is uh, the courts. Um, tried to make make it go through and the company that she works with is now fighting it. You know, okay. there's nothing nothing saying that because they've hired her back as a driver. So that tells me she's got her license back. Now mind you, that's already over a year ago. Now I don't know how long they take you know, take it away for first offense. But I mean in recovery, they always say you're not to do anything stressful or strenuous for the first year of your recovery. Um, her going back to driving really isn't, you know, until she knows she can handle everything. Um, it's Gee. not even really, shouldn't even really be an option. Gee, man, you got, a, you got something to say to that? No. Well, Quebec is a whole different world. They have different laws than we do. Um I totally, she should never drive again, as far as I'm concerned. Um, our drinking driving laws are ridiculously stupid. Um, and I'm sorry, but, uh, I mean, that's, you're in an 18-wheeler. You're anywhere from, you know, you're up, upwards around 80,000 pounds in the States, 86 and higher in Canada, and you're getting loaded. Nine beers. I mean... Wow. Um, I'm sorry. No. No. I, um, I, I mean, uh, uh, she should never, she shouldn't be allowed to ride a skateboard. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I agree. I, agree. I mean, I mean, 
I'm no, I'm no saint. I mean, you know, when I was younger, I've, I've done it too. But um, I think never, we've all done never in a, things like that when we're never. Younger. I've never done it. I've never done it in a commercial vehicle, okay? Um, which doesn't make it any better. But um, I'm sorry. Uh, they got to start. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm at a bar and I'm drinking, whether I'm in a car or not. And I know that the penalty for being loaded um, is a lifetime ban from driving. I'm not going to do it. No, some people will. Tough. Too bad. Yeah. No, I agree. You never saw. Well, You're going to ride the bus. This is this is a prime example of where unions, because this was a unionized company, and of course the union feels that they have, like, they, because that's part of what they do is they stand up for their workers and. I read in one of the articles that even the union rep goes, whether we feel it's right or wrong, we have to help fight it. Okay? So, no, you don't. No, no. Well, no, no but the there's... union does because of the contracts that people sign with the union. Yeah. There's a right? thing called so, code of ethics, and yeah, that overrules. Right. That overrules a union. But well, I, I, I just want to. You know what, as well as I do, Brian, ethics have went out the window years ago. I just want to add one last thing, and then we'll get into uh, to my uh, cab driver story. But uh, the last thing I'll add is when uh, my wife was 13 years old, a drunk driver killed her mother and killed her brother and changed the whole direction of her life. So um, I'm a real proponent against drinking and driving and drunk drivers, whether they do it once or they do it 10 times. And that's it. That's it. There's there's no there's no tomorrow. I mean, uh, she broke. She grew up with no mother and no brother, and that guy's still to this day out doing his thing after being in jail for a measly decade. So that's all I've got to say about that. And uh, we'll be here next. We're gonna get right into it with Fist.
Yes, that was classic Fist. Great, great music. So, we're going to talk about scams. Now, there's lots of them these days, but back in 1983, uh, I scammed someone. Okay? Now, I'm not going to say I'm proud of it, because I'm not, but it happened. But uh, the way it happened was somewhat comical, and I want to share that with you. Uh, I just lost my radio job in Peace River, Alberta. I was dressed as like Corey, the, uh, Corey Hart, uh, the, the pop singer. The song was Sunglasses at Night. I looked like him. I was working for uh, the Bible Belt radio station of Peace River, Alberta. They fired my ass, and um, I decided to become a cab driver. And I didn't really know my niche in life at that time. So um, you have to be kind of a hustler back then. You have to, uh, you know... It was all done by distance. Cab drivers now, you know, they get paid by the meter, but back then you, it was all by distance. So it's Remembrance Day, 1983, and I'm sitting in this great big Buick Laurentian. It's a massive car. It's got a big 454 motor in it, and uh, I'm sitting there outside the Peace River Inn, and uh, this indigenous character is sitting outside, and I'm kind of watching them. And, and uh, back then, uh, the indigenous people really took quite advantage of cab drivers. And, um, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, alcoholism and, and whatnot. But a lot of the times in, when you were trying to get a fare, what usually happened is they never paid you. So um, I would have knives and I'd leather, leather jackets and jewelry. I could open up a, a you know an indigenous souvenir shop outside of my cab. That's how how uh, ridiculous it got. So the cab drivers started seeking seeking revenge on these on the people. And um, you know the way you would do it is of course if you got a fare you you know you'd add a couple bucks here or there. So. And we had a terminology. We called them pigeons, right? So I said, well, you know, I, I radioed in and I said, car 43, I got a pigeon going down to uh, the uh, bus depot. And that was like a $20 trip back then. So that's all I thought. It's like, okay, I'm going to get this guy here down to the bus depot and I'll charge him 20 bucks and so be it. So we get to the bus depot and... Uh, he uh, says, uh, he says, I gotta go, I gotta go to Edmonton to see my brother. I said, okay. I said, uh, well, we'll get you the bus depot. But it turned out the bus depot was closed that day. And I said, well, Chester, now what are you gonna do, right? We'll call him Chester for the sake of an argument. And uh, he says, well, uh, I gotta go to Edmonton. Gotta see my brother. I said, okay, but I said. You know, a uh, trip to Edmonton is $400. Oh, he said, uh, I said, I uh, probably don't have $400, right? Well, I have this hundred. I said, uh, okay. He said, you're kind of $300 short. He said, uh, well, I got this check. I said, okay. And he pulls out this check, and uh, it's made out to Chester Proudfoot of the Sun Valley Company, uh, oil field company the time they're not there anymore and uh it was for two thousand dollars hold the fort Brian's, Brian's like whoa wow so now i'm thinking i can get a four hundred dollar cab fare out of this guy right so uh i radio in and i i said uh yeah i got a cab fare it's uh four hundred bucks 
And uh, she says, well, you need the cash up front. You know what You know what our rules are? And I said, uh, I said well, I said, I know. And she said, no, can't leave town. You know, it's Dick's car. Uh, you know, it's not your car. I said, uh, you need you need the $400. So meanwhile, I said, okay, I'll get back to you. So, Chester, what do you, what do you want to do? Well, I need to go to Edmonton. I got to see my brother. I said, okay. I said, but I said, dude, it's like $300 short. He says, uh, that's, that's okay. He says, uh, he said, uh, my brother will take care of it in Edmonton. It's like, oh, decisions, decisions, decisions. So I, at that point, I turned off the radio, the two-way radio. And I decided, well, what I'll try and do is I'll cast this check. I'll try and cast this check for him on my way from basically uh, Peace River to Edmonton. Now, that is like uh, about a six-hour trip. So we stopped at every town from Peace River, literally, that day to on my way to Edmonton. But I told them, I said, okay. I said, every time we stop, I'm going to charge you waiting time. And the waiting time is 25 bucks every time we stop. And I'll, you know, I'll get on my notepad and I'll write it down. 25 bucks, 25 bucks. It's okay, but he says, I want to drink. I want to drink. I said, okay. I said, I said, what do you want? He says, I want a two for him. He said, okay. So I said, I'll buy you two for him. So I went to the local pub where we were, in, I think we were in Grimshaw at the time, and uh, went and grabbed him the two for him, right? And uh, I said, okay, there's 25 bucks. So this went on every town. I tried to cash that check. I tried to cash it at, at like the Muddy Mart type places. I tried to cash it at the off sales of, of the bar. I just could not cash it. He did not have the ID. So it's like, okay, all right, time. Can't get this thing cast. So I said, okay. So I said, what do we do here? We're in Edmonton now. And he had probably polished off two two fours by that time. I've never seen an uh, indigenous person drink and hold their liquor like this guy. And he really wasn't even phased. It was just crazy. Um, and he was sucking them back like probably, uh, you know, a bottle of beer at least every 15 minutes. So he, he was he was two shades to the wind, but he was still actually coherent. So I said, okay, it's midnight here. We're in Edmonton. What are we going to do here, Chester? Let's go see my brother. I said, okay, let's go see your brother. I'm, now, I'm expecting to go on to the indigenous reservation, and that's, you know, go find him at the, the, the you know, the, the, the nearest teepee. But uh, it was this prestigious neighborhood, beautiful neighborhood. I'm going, what the heck, right? And, I, you know, there's this beautiful, beautiful home, and it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Go knock on the door. I said, okay. So knocked on the door, and no, nope, nobody there. Knock again. Nobody there. Said, what are we going to do? He says, oh, he's at Tumbleweeds, the nightclub. He's, he's, he, that's where he goes at this time of the night. I said, okay, let's go to Tumbleweeds, right? So off we go. He gets back in the cab. We get in the cab. We take off. We go to Tumbleweeds, right? Tumbleweeds is closed. It's Remembrance Day weekend. It's closed. Now what do we do? So, leaving Tumbleweeds, I go down Jasper Avenue. Jasper Avenue is where all the hookers hang out. So, I knew what was going to happen. I knew exactly what was going to happen. So, I'm driving down Jasper Avenue, and he sees this nice, indigenous young lady, and she's all painted, and she's wearing the shorty short shorts, and she's wearing the high top heels, and she's looking good, man. And he wants her back. 
me, I want, I want to. He says, I want, I want to. I said, I said, yeah. I said, uh, but I said, you got any money? He goes, oh, I don't know. He says, so he pulls out his next pocket and he's got lots of cash. It's like, oh my God, like what, like what's going on here? So I said, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. So I get out of the car. He stays in the, stays in the cab. I go over there and I start negotiating with the, the hooker. I said, uh, I said, how much? He goes, she goes, uh, well, for your guy, she said, uh, 300 bucks. I said, oh, okay. I said, uh, all right, I'll be right back. Go back to the cab. Okay, Chester. said, she wants $300. I, I don't know if I have that. I said, I said, well, I said, dude, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll, I'll buy you the hooker. I said, I, I got some extra cash. I'll buy you the hooker. You, you do that? I said, yeah, I'll do that. He says, okay, I, I, just when we see my brother, you, you know, you, you, he, he'll, he'll pay you. He'll kill you. He pays you. Okay. All right. We'll do that. So go back. I said, okay. I said, uh, I said, what reassurances do I have that this is going to happen? She goes, well, my pimp's over there. She said, uh, she said, my old man. She said, my old man's over there. I said, okay. I said, follow him. So I get back in the cab. I get him with their Chester and it's like, holy shit. So we started following this guy in this uh, green, lime green Cadillac, the most pukiest looking color with the most god awful mags. And I'm following him into this alley and I just not really realizing the danger I'm probably putting myself in, but hey, Brian's gonna buy the you know, his Pharaoh hooker. What the heck? So we get into this alley and uh, you know, he comes out and he goes, Hey, bud said, I, I, that's what we're going to do. You park there, you stay in the car, you know, uh, I'm going to bring her, I'm going to bring her in there, the old lady, and you bring your guy in there, and you just stay there, and you just smoke your cigarettes. Don't get out of the car. Don't get out of the car. <laughs> like, oh, okay, all right. Good enough. So I'm sitting in the cab, just smoking away. I smoked back then. And, uh, you know, it took probably about, I don't know, an hour. <laughs> he comes back. He's got this mile-long grin on his face. You know, he's just happy as go lucky. And, uh, you know, he says, uh, he thanks me. And we get back in the cab. And uh, I said, okay, is he happy now? Oh, yeah, very, 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 very happy, very happy. So let's go see my brother. Okay, all right, great. So away we go. Back to the suburbs and, you know, pull up to the house. And, oh, my God, there's the lights are all out. You know, and but this time, this time, there's a minivan in the driveway. Oh, great, awesome! So uh, I go up to the door and I start knocking on the door again. Nobody's answering, right? I'm looking back and I don't see Chester. I don't see Chester at all. It's like, oh, geez, where did he go? Right? So I keep knocking on the door and I look back and I don't see Chester again. So it's like, oh shit! So I keep knocking on the door, but I thought, okay, I better go see where the hell he went. He is passed out in the cab, just passed out completely in the back seat. So, okay, so go up to the front door and bang on the door, and this little guy comes out in his underwear. And uh, and uh, uh, prior to that, Chester actually, uh, for he didn't have any more money for two for. He actually signed the two thousand dollar check over to me. Forgot to mention that little detail. And. In those days, you could endorse a check, so it was made out to me. It was made out to Brian, uh, you know. And uh, I went up to the door and I thought, well, let's see what I can do here. So I said, hey, uh, well, you know, uh, he said, what do, what do you want? I said, hey, I got your brother Chester in the back seat there, and uh, 
you know, he's passed out, and, you know, uh, he owes me, like, six, $700. He says, six, $700? I said, yeah. I said, look at all this waiting time. And I show him this pad, and I racked up 25 here, 25 here. It was like eight. I think it came to, like, $800. He goes, oh, oh. I says, I can't do that. I said, so I'll tell you what. I said, oh. I said, you give me $500. I said, we'll call it even. He says, okay. So he writes me out a check for 500 bucks. So I got a check that's endorsed to me for $2,000, and then I got a check for $500. So uh, I was like, oh, my God, right? I just made $2,500 on this cab fare. I am just just shaking, just unbelievable. So he says, okay, so we bring him in the house, and he gives me the check. I get back in the cab. It's like, at this time, it's like 7 in the morning. And I go to this petrol can, uh, I'm fueling up, and I'm just not a cloud. I'm so excited. You know, it's like this is the biggest cab fare ever. And uh, <laughs> I get back into the car, and I just squeal my tires, just burn rubber at this fuel pump. And I know I got to get back. I got to get back because, you know, they're, and I turned off my radio. Who knows what could be happening? So uh, uh, anyway, I uh, I got literally got on the highway at the Yellowhead and I just peeled it back to Peace River and a six hour cab fare there only took me three hours to get back to Peace River. I was doing probably a hundred. I was probably out of my mind. I was I'm sure it was pretty dangerous. There's nobody around but I mean I I had that 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 uh, cab just screaming back. So I was waiting for my opportunity. So as I got into Peace River, I turned the two way back on. And I'm listening to this. It's like, where, where did Corey, where did he go? Because I, I had a nickname called Corey the Rose. We won't get it. We won't talk about that. But anyway, so Corey was such a good guy. You know, he was such a good guy. You know, he's he's been missing now, and the police are out. And I'm listening to this freaking eulogy about me. And it's like, yeah, he was a little bit off center. He did a lot of weird things, and you know, he did some crazy things in his cab. But you know, he's all in all, he's a good guy, and I was just waiting for my opportunity. And suddenly, the radio radio went dead. And I go, car, 43, clear, 4, 0, 0, dot, 0, 0. And you could have heard a pin drop. Nobody, like, everybody was just, there was just dead silence on the radio. It was like, it's Corey, it's Corey, oh my God, he's back, he's back, right? Like so, everybody's so excited. It's like, oh my God, you know, we had the police out looking for you and all this. So uh, anyway, so now, of course, I got to pay, you know, the owner operator of the cab his fare. So you know, I give him three hundred dollars. I make a hundred dollars on that. So meanwhile, I got to cash these checks. So the next morning, I go to the bank and uh, I put them in there. She goes, you're gonna have to have a ten day hold on this, sir. It's like, oh jeez, I'm just wondering if really I'm gonna you know, get get away with this. Well, the checks cleared Friday. Brian didn't tell the woman he was living with how much money he actually made on the cab fare, the $2,600 cab fare. And, uh, yeah, that's my story. So um, that's the scam. Um, so as I'm going to ask anybody on the panel here, have you ever scammed someone? We'll start with Jay. Right. <laughs> I knew you were gonna. Well, <laughs> mine, 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 mine isn't really a scam. Mine falls more under grand theft. 
listen, it's not really a, a broad topic. There, there was, you know, just to go through it for those people that are not in the state, there's a big move to allow younger drivers to come into the EDL, uh CMV market uh, with the main topic, and this is the more, my main point of contention, that it's brought out to the general public, the populace of the U.S., at, and I'm assuming it, it, the scope goes even into Canada, where they're pushing for younger and younger drivers to come into the market, alluding to some facet in the marketplace that says we have a shortage of drivers. Now, this comes in as long, along with the yellow roadway debacle that's going on where uh, yellow is now closing its doors. And, you know, obviously all these uh, goods that are coming are waiting for shipment in the LTL market are being uh, divested into other carriers. And that's been going on for some time because if nobody knows it, Yellow Roadway is a union shop. And because of it, they have to deal with union reps before they can make any implemented change, which is why they've been going through such hard times as well as the mismanagement that they uh, suffered with. But anyway, that, that's another topic. So uh, Congress has been petitioned to allow these younger people to come into the marketplace, alluding to the shortage of drivers that we, we were supposedly having. The truth known is that it's not really a fact that there there's a shortage of drivers, although that's the big, the big point that they were trying to make. It's that these large carriers have been so, you know, so involved with mistreating their drivers and lying to them to get into the uh, the business. So they were having a hard time retaining those drivers. And because of it, they kept having to go through a, a very large recruitment process just to deal with their attrition rate, which was so high. It was astronomical. So how do you, you save that uh, beast off? You bring in younger and younger people that, they're not. They don't know any better. They tell them a lie. They say, "Oh, you're going to be making, you know, buku amount of money," and then they come in. They've been lied to. They're not making that much. They're away from their friends. So what do they do? They leave the marketplace, and or they leave that company. So now they have to hire new and newer and newer people. How do you how do you save that off? Well, you bring in younger and younger people that have never really been working in any uh, foreseeable in any uh, potential jobs that are bringing in decent money, you tell them, hey, you're going to be making, you know, dollars $80,000 a year, and they get diluted into that, and they say, hell yeah. So why wouldn't they want to come in? And now the uh, trucking companies don't have to worry about how many drivers they're losing because they have this ready-made mar- uh, uh, driver pool that they can bring in in 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. Anyway, I, there's also a, uh, a new act in Congress to... Uh, make changes to that uh, ruling, the uh, pilot program, because they said you're bringing, there is no real reason for having a driver shortage, because there isn't one. Not only that, but you're bringing in younger and younger people that don't have any kind of background with driving. So they're destined to make mistakes and drive up the accident rates and the cost of doing business in litigation. So hopefully Congress sees the uh, truth of it and they are able to repeal the law uh, that the FMCSA is working on and uh, getting this uh, pilot program at not removed, but at least altered to make it a little bit more restrictive 
before you just bring in these young drivers to move into a field that really is not struggling for what they're saying, over a million uh, drivers that they're short, which I don't think is true. I, I agree. But anyway. I agree. I, I think, and see, here's something, Bruce. Really, when you, you know, when you're 18 to 20, okay, you might, you know, you might have some maturity, but you don't have the knowledge and the skills that a truck driver should have at that age. It's just, it's impossible. I mean, right. You know, so I think that's a huge, huge mistake. And I think you're going to find, uh, you're going to probably find a lot of things. You're probably going to find uh, violations. You're going to probably find um, uh, accidents, fatigue. I mean, you know, that's a lot, stuff that, go ahead, Jen. A lot is going to depend on the maturity of the person. I've known 18-year-olds that were more mature than most 30- and 40-year-olds. And, and again, I've known most 30- and 40-year-olds who would be compared to more of a 12-year-old. I mean, so I, I do think, though, that if they're going to bring these young kids in at 18, that they need to be with a driver trainer. I mean, you know, at, at least a year, do an, do an apprenticeship, right? That's what they need to be bringing in if they're going to do this. And well, the drivers are... On a level of restriction, they, they're not given free reign. But, you know, you've got people that are not, they're supposedly trainers. And that's what I dealt with uh, working for this other company. I was one of their trainers. But they really, they're, they're in such need of, because of this attrition rate that they're suffering from, they need these drivers in their trucks driving ASAP. So even if I told them, listen, this person is not ready, they need a lot more work. They said, we'll, we'll deal with it back at the uh, terminal. We'll put them through some, you know, uh, CBTs, computer-based training, and some stuff out in the, uh, the yard. And I told them, that is not going to get them ready to be out in the real world driving in traffic. But, you know, once again, they are just more desirous of getting these people in a truck and driving. And they don't really care, no matter what a trainer says. So putting these young drivers in with a uh, a mentor or a trainer, this person is just looking for another logbook to be on the truck. And that's yeah. what most of these uh, drivers are looking for. Yeah, the problem is like. And they won't they won't listen to the rules. Dan, a true apprenticeship is where you've got a driver trainer sitting in the jump seat for at least the first six months to assess the driver, the new driver and actually teach them things, right? Then at that six-month mark, they can make the determination as to whether they, you know, need more time for training or whether they're fit to start doing like a, a team type or what's more of a single-type run, you know, where the new driver is able then to do a little bit on his own or her own. Um, you, mean, you, mean, you mean Bruce, by the way. Mark's gone. <laughs> I didn't say Mark. But yeah. yeah. But anyway. No, I didn't. But, um, no, I'm having I'm having issues here at home. But uh, no, I I fully believe that they need to, you know, do at least six months with yeah. a trainer. Where do the trainer's me, in the do jump seat. Okay, do you want me to give you one? I'll give you one good example. Now, I have this cousin. This guy thinks he's God's gift to women. Okay, and he became a truck driver. 
He was an iron worker before that. He had some medical issues. He became a truck driver. And he was pushing, and I mean pushing. He was, you know, taking his 30-minute break, and then he'd be back in the truck. And, uh, you know, he was using the PC option a little too often. What do you think happened to him? He was crossing the border at Sarnia, and he fell asleep while he was driving. He drove right into a tanker, fully loaded gasoline tanker. He's lucky it didn't explode. But did he take the did he take the blame for it and say, yeah, that was my stupidity and whatnot? No, not at all. No, not at all. Okay, no, 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 no. That that tanker might have been in my lane, and you know, um, I kind of lost respect for him after that. To tell you the truth. And it uh, actually severed uh, the family ties because I thought he was a complete asshole, to tell you the truth. And um, his company, here's the here's the ironic thing, actually was fighting for him to keep his job, even though he blatantly told me he fell asleep in the end, right? Okay, and that's because of the young uh, immaturity of him, yeah. and that's what got him into trouble. And this type of stuff will get these kids into trouble because oh, yeah. you know the old you know you know the old saying young dumb full of you know what i mean right so um i truly okay. believe that's a mistake that's why they need to they need to be with qualified trainers not just any trainer because i remember when i started out one of the companies i worked for i had barely maybe all total maybe a year of experience and I was put in a trainer position. And they had a couple of females. They needed trained. And I don't know, maybe because I was an owner-operator, they figured they had more experience or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, they're not doing, they're not using qualified trainers for the most part. <clears throat> you know, you need somebody who's got years of experience, you know, uh, especially, you know, depending on the train that you're going to be traveling. Like, if you're going to be running mountains, well, then you need somebody that's got that experience. You know, if you're running heavier loads or overdimensional, you need that as well, right? So, right. but there's not enough qualified trainers that are willing to do that, right? Uh, I mean, I know I have a hard time giving control over to something, is someone else, right? Especially when it's behind the wheel. <clears throat> so, I, I mean, it's not that I haven't done the training. Um I just know what's, what it entails, and it, it, it's a hard job. It's not really not an easy one. Well, personally, myself, uh, the way the population has grown over the last 30 years, um, I don't know. Like, in Canada, it's 19 to get your class one. Um, but we also have 38 million people. Um, the U.S. has, what, 138? 140 million people. Um, I don't know if I'd be cutting a teenager loose. I really don't. Um, especially with the mindset today. How about you, Will? You're the youngest of the group. What, 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 what's your opinion on that? Honestly, I, I think it comes down to uh, what type of driving experience have you had, not how much. Because you can get somebody that's been driving for 30 years and someone that's been driving for 18 years and the person that's driven for 18 years like might end up you know teaching that one that's driven for 30 years i i do however 
believe that um, it, like like it comes down to what type of driving. So like, uh, let's say India, for example, where I I I, I think it's there's parts of India that <clears throat> don't have uh, traffic lights, right? So like, are we talking about like people from other countries, which is becoming more common, um, or are we talking def- uh, like like experiencing defensive driving, right? Because like, uh, here's another thing to think about, right? You can get somebody who's been driving for 30 years, but has had, I don't know, like, let's say 10 accidents during the course of their uh, time there, right? And someone who's been working there for 20 years and uh, has none, right? So, like, I mean, it, yeah, I, I do believe, like, substances uh, do play a role at times because I've actually known a couple of truck drivers that, you know, uh, used to go to the bar before uh, getting in their truck. But um, all in all, man, like, I I, uh, I almost lean to, to towards, like, what style of driving have you had experience with? Have you had experience with um, signs and uh, stoplights or, um, none of the above, because if it's none of the above and you're, and, and they're trying to get used to our ways, there's going to be a, a bit of a disconnect too. And, and, and at that point, I, I don't believe you can retain that much information even within a year, you know? Well, Bruce, you have the last word on that before we uh, get into Jay's four death biographies. Uh, what do you, what's your final word on that, Bruce? Listen, a lot of I think the uh, the ruling has to be altered somehow to allow more training, extended training, or certain restrictions on these uh, younger drivers to keep them safe and limit the amount of uh, exposure they get. Anyway, on to other topics. Okay. All right. So we're going to get into some more uh, music, a little classic music from Fist. This is called Too Late.
we're back. It's been a uh, interesting two weeks. Uh, we've lost basically four legends, not some actors, some singers. Um, Randy Meisner from the Eagles, Pee Wee Herman, Sinead O'Connor, and Tony Bennett. Now, Randy Meisner was the front man for, in the beginning for the Eagles. Now, he worked for some pretty interesting uh, performers. Um, oh, what was her name? How he got his start and how he met his fellow bandmates was uh, Linda, through Linda Ronstadt. He, they were backup musicians. And that's how he, he met uh, the fellow members of what would become the Eagles. Um, he performed and finally ended up leaving the Eagles in 1977 because of his health. And he suffered from bad health pretty much his entire life. And Sinead O'Connor, we all know Sinead O'Connor, um, she was uh, pretty much famous back in the 90s uh, with a top wizard, um, top 10 hit, Nothing Compares to You. And unfortunately, on Saturday Night Live, tearing up picture of the Pope pretty much ruined her career. But sadly, it was over the abuse in Ireland of the Catholic Church. Now, 10 years later, she would be pretty much exonerated because child abuse and uh, rape in the Catholic Church started to become public in North America, so she was right, and sadly, last year her, her son died, and uh, she was still performing, but I do believe that she passed away from a broken heart. She was very close to her boy. And old Paul Rubin, <laughs> now everybody remembers Pee Wee Herman. Now, those shows were hilarious. Um, Pee Wee's uh, uh, Big Adventure was, was my favorite. And unfortunately, he got caught doing something he shouldn't have been doing in a, in a movie theater <laughs> by a cop that apparently was trying to make a name for himself. And uh, it pretty much destroyed his career. He wouldn't start making a comeback until 2000. Um, he started getting cameos on TV shows. Um, he did do cameos on Murphy Brown. I remember him popping up every now and again. Um, he did, uh, oh, he was on the Big Bang Theory. He was, oh, countless shows. Shows that I've never seen, but um, read about. But for me, the big loss, and a, a lot of even kids today would remember Tony Bennett. Now, Tony Bennett got his start through Bob Hope. Bob Hope even gave him his name and uh, shortened his name up. Um, he wrote a very famous, his very first debut album was called Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Now, it just skyrocketed. It made him, it made him a household name. Um, starting as a, a, he was a singing waiter. <laughs> and uh, that's how he got his start. That's how he was discovered. Now, he pretty much, he was a, he was a, a classic, they called it a, a classical pop artist. He did show tunes and um, he did the odd movie appearance and this was back in the 50s. And once rock and roll started, he found himself, his career was starting to lag and it wouldn't be, wouldn't pick up again until 1990. 
when he started doing show uh, guest spots on Conan O'Brien, Late Night with David Letterman, all the all the late night shows. Well, in 2000 and 2014, he would collaborate the first album with Lady Gaga, which went platinum. Uh, they toured to sold out shows. Every show was sold out. Um, they would constantly collaborate. They actually became very close friends. Um, he did his last tour in 2001 with Lady Gaga, and uh, sadly, he died. Now, what's really interesting about him is he was drafted in at the end of World War II and was sent to the European theater, and he fought in the famous Battle of the Bulge, um, which the horrors of what he witnessed uh, turned him into a humanitarian. Um, and... Now, interesting. He was he was he was a big supporter of Martin Luther King. And the odd thing about this is, the night before Martin Luther King was murdered or was assassinated, his driver was killed by the KKK. I mean, he was part of he was part of history. So you know, it's it's pretty sad because he was he was 96 years old and still working. And that's pretty much all I can really say. Anybody want to add to uh, any of those four deaths or, or what they uh, remember? Janet? No, I mean, I remember Sinead O'Connor. I mean, nothing compares to, you You know, one of the more famous and, songs she ever did. And, you know, and a lot of people don't know that that was actually originally done by Prince. Yeah. And she made it, she made it a hit. Yeah. And apparently, now I did not know this. Apparently, Prince came on to her, and she said, F off. Like, and he kept coming on to her, and she basically, uh, I don't know if there was a payoff or not, where she wanted his song. I'm not really sure. There, it's kind of cloudy, but uh, she did adopt that song, but yet she had no love for him. So um, She had a beautiful it, voice. She did. She had song, amazing... It's like that song was made for her, man. It, yeah, it was. It, and, uh, you know, but if you if you if you were a watch if you watched Laverne and Shirley, you would know Tony Bennett's one of Tony Bennett's most famous songs. The theme song? Nope. Remember Carmine? Yeah. yeah. Car Carmine. Always coming in. I come from rags to riches. Yeah. Yes. Tony Bennett, baby. Wow. Wow. I I did not know that. I did not know that. Either, yeah. either, either did I until today. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. he was really, uh, he was really uh, messed up from uh, the war. It completely yeah. changed his life. Well, he was also Italian, and the army was uh, segregated, so he was treated He was treated horribly because he was Italian. What about you, there, Birdman? Anything to add to uh, any of those deaths? Yeah, absolutely no. Am I familiar with all of them? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I knew Paul Rubens. I, I remember him when he was first starting out. Janine mm -hmm. O'Connor, I love the music, but, you know, listen, they, whatever clouded their uh, their later lives and whatever caused them, you know, their demise and trials and tribulations they went through, that just that just makes us all human. And they were just that. It's actually surprising. It's 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 staggering actually how much Paul Rubens was in shows that you don't even realize. Like yes, 
it was, I mean, I was, I was going through some of, of the movies. Like, he was in that movie Blow, uh, the one that Don, Johnny Depp was in in 2001. Um, he was also uh, in Batman of 1992, which I did not even know that. That, that one shocked me. Um, he was in Cocaine Bear, which just came out, and I had no idea that he was in that show. Um, he was in the original Meatballs. Uh, that was yes, he was. Yes, he yeah. was. Who would have thought, right? Okay, and then he also got into serious roles as well, uh, you know, which, again, you, you never would have thought he was in, like, serious roles like uh, sci-fi movies and whatnot. So, yeah, he was in a lot of the, the movies, uh, kind of like in, in the background, but uh, and then he honed his craft, and then he, you know, like anybody, he created this character, Pee-wee, and you know what? The kids loved him in the beginning. Like, he really... He he hit he hit gold with the kids with Pee Wee's Big Adventure what? and Big Birthday. I, and, I thought they were I thought they were hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know yeah. So um, as far as Randy Meisner goes, uh, I remember his music from when I was in radio playing his music, and um, I thought he was a fantastic musician. So yeah, sad to see all of those gone all too soon yeah. and. I think other than Tony Bennett, who was up in his 90s, wasn't he 93? 96. 96. And Paul Rubin was 70. Sinead O'Connor, I think, is the youngest. Wasn't she 57 or 56? I'm not really sure. Um, 56, I believe. And Randy Meisner was 77. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. So, um, we're going to play another song, and when we come back, we're going to have... Wing it well. Here's Brent Turner and the white parts of her tan. Sandals pack drives a sunbird sedan. She keeps the copper town close, but my favorite is all the white parts of a tan bikini. Glad so teeny, write our names in the sand. Got a tattoo on her pumpkin, and a smile is really something. And our time is certainly at hand. The white
Wow, that was a great song by Brent Turner. You guys should stay tuned uh, to the end of the uh, visit, of visit number 41, as we will be having Brian's Eye Opener with Brent Turner, uh, part three, I believe. This this part three is, is, is going to be really good. So, uh, so I encourage everyone to uh, stay tuned till the very, very end and just sit back and relax. It's, uh, this one's a, a good interview. Anyways, um, now I'm going to tell you about the Google Cloud. And, I mean, people already don't trust Google, whatever. Um, well, now there's a cybersecurity um, company that has come forward to say that Google Cloud is, uh, well, there's this, uh, um, I guess, server called Cloud Z. Uh, C-L-O-U-D-Z-Y, I, I believe. Anyways, um, this company has been now caught uh, dealing with 17 different government organizations. If anyone knows what a server is, it's it's basically like uh, you go on your like like I'm gonna compare it to a a full like a folder on your computer. Uh, so when you go into the folder, it has more folders. So it's basically what a server is. So they're actually hosting websites. Um, I'm not sure as to what these websites are and um, who has access to them. All we know is that there's government uh, agencies, including the NSA and the CIA, that are all using this service. And China, of course, is heavily involved in this. So um, I'm not I'm not sure as to what extent they're involved, but uh, I can tell you now. <laughs> If uh, if you've backed up your your data to any Google uh, at all, like your Google Chrome browser, anything at all, you're probably gonna be you know uh, <laughs> affected by this. And it's crazy because um, this means that the conspiracy theorists, quote unquote, um, we're we're kind of right. It's it, it's almost like the the government put out traps and they just like everyone just started falling for it. Um, this is also, <laughs> this, this is extremely concerning because now they, they got data, all of our data into in one database and, uh, that's being used to profit. So, I mean, like, where's our money? Why, why are we not being paid to give our data to places? And why are they taking our data? What do they need the data for? I'm I'm I I have I think I have way more questions than I do answers on this one. Okay, well that was an interesting topic, a little bit crazy, and here's Fist.
he told me today a funny story. He said that he's actually taught Terry how to do his business in a litter box in the truck. So, wow. You can tell everybody that next week because that's pretty impressive. Because I know a truck driver, he has a burden. He has a burden in his truck, and he just shits all over his truck. And uh, I was asking you about that today, and you said, no, I got him trained. So you even got him so trained so well that when he bit you, you bit him back. I thought that was hilarious. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. Now, that sounds like something Jay would do, you know. But anyway, I digress. Oh, you know, oh, I, I, I. I hurt my dog's feelings now and again. Yesterday, I called her a poodle. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So, we got some pylon shout-outs this week. So, um, if somebody did somebody wrong, that's a black pylon. If it's a woman, it's a red pylon. And if it's a guy, it's a blue pylon. So, does anybody want to jump forward and throw a pylon shout-out? I'm going to give one. A blue pylon shout-out. Go ahead, Jay. I am so happy to know that my old man is so miserable, he's too cranky to die. He actually pulled through, he's doing fine. And he's got a granddaughter now to uh, spend And he has a granddaughter, yes, he does. That's good to hear. That's really good to hear. So He, he bounced back, so it's, uh, it's really, really good. Well, that's excellent. That's really good. So, uh... Okay, so... I would have to say black. Okay, um, fire at us. This is the doctor, the specialist I went to see the other day. Right. never even looked at me. He walked in, he basically glanced at me, looked at his computer, looked at the x-rays, went, oh, well, this, this, and this, and you're fine, and off, you know, see you in five weeks, and out the door he went. Didn't examine okay. nothing, didn't look at anything, just looked at the x-rays, barely even looked at me. Well, that's real, a black one for sure. Real, real crappy bedside manner. Yep, yep. Thank and, God I only have oh. to see him once more. <laughs> well, I got a red one, okay? Um, I have this weird thing on my leg. We won't go into it, although uh, I do know people that talk about their toenails on podcasts. <laughs> and I don't need to hear that, but... I have this weird, weird little thing on the side of my leg, and Dr. O, uh, I give her a really good shout-out. She just took some of that liquid nitrogen, and she fired it on there, and in 45 seconds, it was stung, but it was uh, it was cured, and today it fell off. So I'm, uh, I don't have that wonderful little bump on my leg, but the weird things that we get when we age. God, getting old sucks. So anyway, speaking of old, we have an old rocker from way back when. I mean, uh, this guy's in his 60s now, but he's still doing it. His name's Brett Turner. He's from the the uh, legendary rock group Helix. And he basically is on his own now with My Wicked Twin. And we have done the most inter- interesting interview. I know uh, Will would, would add to that. Brett's got some great stories. And this is the final one. And uh, this is part three from the eye opener. Here's Brent Turner, and you guys have a good week. Welcome to the eye opener with Bry Guy, your host from the Highway Freaks podcast. And this is my stage. I ask the hard hitting questions, highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two. 
How about celebrities or recent people in the news? Maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets. Animal lovers, charities, or just that odd person out there making the headlines. Or even something totally off the wall. So let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest. talking about uh, this old dog we finished off with that song and um i was going to ask you before we get into the ashtray sonatas what is what is that song about it's about it's about how we're losing our freedom of speech and we're losing our freedom uh, you know i wrote uh, this old dog needs to scratch an itch socialists try to write me i got fleas quadruple knees a broken leash Governments are policing speech, speaking thumbs, but private, you know, I mean, this is people that own a smartphone, you're speaking in thumbs. That's, you know, that's deep. Even for you, that's really deep. Oh, I made a new word in that song, too. This old dog needs to scratch an itch. Libocrats try to spite me. A libocrat. <laughs> and then, you know, talking heads in disguise, roll snake eyes, testament of a losing streak, uh, twisting truth without concern. It's about, you know, the... Uh, the mainstream media and you know you watch one tv broadcast and it's completely different than the other broadcast on the same topic very true i think we very know true. what we're talking about here yeah. in the u.s yeah no that, that that does make a lot of sense so how did you come up with the name the ashtray sonatas and it was you and your twin brother brian that were pretty much on the album right yep i can't remember how I came up with that. Uh, I, w I think it was supposed to be a song title because I keep a, a document that anytime I hear a phrase or anything off the TV or a radio or anything, I, I, I grab it and keep it. And sometimes they're just phrases in a song. Sometimes they end up being the song title in the song, and sometimes they end up being album titles. Plus, you smoke, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the sonatas, and I'm a smoker, right? Yeah, that might have something to do with it. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, I got, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, you know, I try to forget what your lies have been. I'll take the, the dog's way home. Don't want to fetch character set. So just lyrics about what I see going on with this screwed up world we now live in. It's, it is very screwed up. Yeah, and I I attribute it to the two effed up governments that we have in the United States and in Canada, and uh, I think they're both scratching each other's back uh, in probably the worst way possible, and it's uh, really reflective of, of what's going on with our fuel prices, our gas prices. I, I don't care what anybody says. I know some of that is uh, attributed to uh, their. Um, their belief systems, the liberal belief systems, and the you know the, the way that Biden thinks. Because I have never seen uh, the prices of groceries so high in my entire existence of, of driving career for uh, my truck driving career for the last 29 years. It's unbelievable. And it is. It really is. And I think there's something also to do with the uh, the four top grocers are probably sitting around the table and going, "Okay, how can we screw the public this year?" And I swear to God, those are all those guys are all getting together because they're price fixing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's because of competition, right? You know how highly illegal that is. There's there's no competition because a grocer can't get into Canada, that because you've got the the you know the uh, 
the Galen Westcus and uh, the uh, you know the Safeways and the Sobeys swelling them all up, and the Costco. You know, I just saw so this morning that uh, that uh, a couple of the bread companies were fixing the the bread prices out in the East Coast, and they got caught. And they had to pay fifty million bucks. But you know, though everybody doesn't get their money back, who knows where the fifty million dollars goes? Probably right. True Dump's right. probably going to give it away to another country. Be my guess. Right now, you've also won an award. Uh, in February of 2022, you got the International Sing Singer Songwriters Association Award. Yeah, for uh, that the, month I did. Yeah, yeah, uh, the best they, rock band. Yeah, for uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, really neat. I, I don't know. I, I tried to contact. First off, I don't even know what song it was. I don't know how I got picked. And I should have asked what song it was, or maybe they were looking at the whole album. I never did find out. They sent me a little baby gold album. Uh, actually, it's a gold 45 with my picture on it and an award that was really nice. And I've tried to contact her since, and I, I even said to her, uh, I said, I saw she was a musician. She runs the ISA, the International Singer-Songwriters Association, and I saw that she had an album with her mother. So I said, maybe these girls, maybe you want to co-write with me. She emails me back, goes, my mother's dead. Oh, jeez. <laughs> last time I ever heard from her. Yeah, that's uh, that'll stop you in your tracks. So two years before that, you released the album Three Engines, another interesting title. Um, how did you come up with that name, or, or, or can you uh, do you recall? I guess it was just our third Wicked Twin record, and I just wanted to have some sort of energy in the title, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it, in retrospect, I think it's a lousy album cover, and you know I can only thank myself for that. Right. And uh, and I'm going to see you about the sixth album that we're going right. to do now that I'm going to see if I can do better, maybe a little more creative and art-wise, and uh, something that will just catch the listener's eye, that it will draw them. I, I think uh, it's got to draw somebody's attention to in some way, so I don't need to have my picture on the cover, you know. Maybe just some real fancy artwork. I've been fooling around with uh, with AI, the artificial intelligence. You know, uh, some of those software sites that I'm, you know, that I'm feeling very uh, uninflated. You might say, you know, uh, what are they called? Those those AI sites, Leonardo, Runway. You know, a bunch of those 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 uh, uh, artificial intelligence. You, you type in a prompt and it'll generate an original picture for you a hundred times over if you just keep hitting enter. Uh, you know, yeah. some of them, one's called Midjourney, one's called Evoke, GitHub, Discord, you know, there's a bunch of those that I'm members of, and uh, yeah, I guess if you want to, it'll create some fantastic art if you got the time and, and, and the money, because you can only spend a couple hours on some of those sites, and they want big bucks after that, some of them. Some of them are free all day long, but it takes forever all day. So would, would you say the new music is more difficult today than what you played in the past with Helix? Absolutely. Uh, I've, learned, uh, I've learned uh, piano. Like uh, I don't know how to actually play the piano, but mm-hmm. I can sure play the hell out of piano in MIDI. Um, you know, uh, I, I've written a song for the, the new album that'll be coming out before the end of the year, and that song is called Happily Never After. Good song title, eh? Another great one. I like it. So Happily Never After is what I might be calling that album. I'm not sure yet. 
Okay? And then I could make... But see, I don't want to project myself as a dark artist because I'm not dark. Guitar rock guy. Right. And then yeah, I'm a pop guy, too. Like, I, you know, when somebody said, was, was Hendrix or the Beatles, which one would you pick? Well, I, Beatles, hands down, every time. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still... I got a nice big picture of the Abbey Road right here on the wall beside me in my office. Uh, they were just genius songwriters and warm and welcoming, friendly-sounding singers, especially Paul McCartney. Right, right. He wrote some of the best songs, and I am i guess I'm still chasing that He's five years old. Have you ever met Paul? No, I've never met the Beatles. I wish they would. Okay. And what about, so you've never you've never come into to contact with the likes of Ringo either, then, eh? Oh, sadly. Oh, okay. No. All right. Yeah. So, getting back to some more music, a body for you sounds suspiciously like Thin Lizzy. Really? Yeah, I think it does. Did, did you try? Did, did you try to get that sound, or, or again, was that just no? I don't change band sounds, or I didn't want to sound like anybody. That would be my my wish would be to not sound like anybody. But anyway, I should have called it. I'd hide a body for you, but I'm a friggin' spode. Why didn't I just name it that? It's not a body for you. It's, I'd hide a body for you, baby. You know? I love you so much, I'd hide your 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 ex-boyfriend's body for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true love. That's what it's about. I'd hide a body for you. Okay. So, so uh, and, and, and speaking of uh, Helix, you're, you were there in 1976, 1988, 1993, 2008, and 2012. So what? You can't make up your mind to go get back in the band and, and quit and leave and quit and leave? What's going on there, Brett? Okay, so I left on good terms with the band. I was just, right. uh, I think I was 30 when I when I left. So I had been the in first, the band. The first time. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I looked around and I saw all my friends had houses and wives and kids and cars and shit. And I still was living in an apartment and had a bicycle, right? Okay. So, and it's not because we were spending the money on booze and drugs. We weren't. We weren't making any money. Everybody figured we were skinny because we were doing drugs or something. We were skinny because we didn't make any money. We couldn't afford to feed ourselves. You were starving. Yeah. So anyway, so I left and I was framing houses and I couldn't believe it. It was, I was making four times as much money a week. And I got the, from five o'clock at night until the next day off to myself. I couldn't believe it was, I couldn't believe it. It was awesome. It's called a life. <laughs> yeah, because like when you're on the road with Helix anyway, like we played 300 one-nighters in one year in 300 cities. That's, our, that's our, our schedule was nuts. But remember, when you're not on tour, you got to have a place to live. But when you're on tour, you still got to pay the rent, even though you haven't been there for months, right? So right. everybody's going, why, why don't these guys have their money? They're spending it on drugs. No, we're not. We're spending it on rent. So, right. yeah. so, but I forgot the question now. What was the question? <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's go to a song called True Love Knot, and we'll get back to Brett in a minute.
Okay, so we're back and uh, getting back to Helix. You have a great story, Brent, of uh, this radio disc jockey. His name was Joe Anthony, and he was credited with playing Helix songs when, like, in the San Antonio area, when well, Helix wasn't even named. How did that come about? And and can you tell me a little more about it? I don't know how exactly Joe Anthony actually got a hold of our record because back then we made our own vinyl albums right uh, which we sold actually 10,000 of our own album our first album right off the stage in the clubs like I was telling you every night we'd sell them we sold 10,000 albums on our own right off the stage that's right off the stage right hand to hand musician to customer uh, anyway, well, somehow he heard it. I don't know if the manager, if our management was responsible for, but for whatever reason, Joe Anthony liked some of the songs on the album and started playing the hell out of it. And Joe Anthony was famous for making hits instead of playing them, uh-huh. which we seem to have lost all that now in all our conglomerate radio stations and stations. Right. So, uh, but he 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 made hits instead and. But then we became so popular, we went down there and played uh, played in, in Texas uh, and came back to Kitchener, and we were like freaking heroes. People couldn't believe it, like, that we'd actually not only left the country, but we actually played in Texas. And we came, we were like freaking hometown heroes. People just couldn't believe it. But, you know, it's really weird. Do you know who Steve Vai is? The world, one of the world's best guitar players. Amazing Vi. guitarist. Okay, yeah. are you ready for this? His band warmed us up. He was our warm-up band. <laughs> that is cool. That is yeah. very cool. Yeah, I saw Steve Vai on a video that he actually did uh, uh, an ACDC song with these two guys on, uh, they were like... Uh, they weren't they weren't uh, violins. They were like these tall standing things. Um, you know those things that uh, upright bass. Well, they're, they're like a violin. They're like, like a oboe. Yes, yeah, the two. Yeah, they, they were on the oboe, and they played the most rockinest song. Uh, and uh, I think it was Highway to Hell. I'm pretty sure it was Highway to Hell. You can catch it on YouTube. And I think it's my good. God, it was so good. It was yeah. so so good. And they people the, the the people were just freaking out. Uh, because I think it was done uh, like basically impulsively. I don't think it was planned. And then they played the video, and it was so good. It was a really well done video. Yeah, so, I think I've seen a chick on a harp play an ACDC song on a harp. <laughs> yeah. Like who plays the harp? Anybody? Well, well, there's that Piper. There's that Piper. She's called Allie the Piper, and uh, we're trying to get on our on our show. So right. Allie, if you're listening, uh, we definitely want to have you on your show, but. Uh, uh, the thing is, she was playing the bagpipes to a Metallica song, and she did it amazingly. So if you Google Allie the Piper, you will see how good she is. So um, that's, and, that's uh, cool. I'll check that out. She is really, really, really talented. So um, so getting back to your brother, uh, he played double bass on drums. He's always played that way, and he played with Helix as well, Brian did, didn't he? On all, almost every album. Yeah, he was on uh, a couple of the early albums, and my twin brother, he'd always leave. Uh, I think he's been through 40 bands, probably, and he was a hired gun drummer where you could uh, hire him for to go into the studio, and he would learn the song in advance, like you should, mm-hmm. and he would score it all, which he can, musically score the drum patterns in the song. Mm-hmm. He'd go in there, and they do one, it was like one take Brian. He'd play the whole song, no mistakes, pack up the drums, go home. A couple hundred bucks. And you guys were close. You guys were very close. We were twins, right? So, yeah. 
Yeah. I tell you, my twin brother on the drums, he's a cut above the rest on, on as a drummer. He yeah. just had that special something that uh, it was the, that extra percent that not a lot of drummers have. Of Brian Derner has that. He was born with it. He's one of those guys. You know what I mean? Like, I was not a natural born guitar player, right? Uh, I, I, I was not a say. You can almost be safe to say that Eddie Van Halen and uh, Steve Vai were among many others, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm not one of those guys. I'm just yeah. just six string wood chopper guy. Right, right. Sometimes we have to try at our craft to get good at it. I mean, I, I, I can definitely testify that I was not a fluid shifter in the beginning of my truck driving career. But, uh, you know, I learned to get better and better and better. Then, of course, they pulled the wolf remote from underneath me and gave me an automatic. But my dog likes that because he doesn't have to get, you know, cornhole over the, the gear shift. Those <laughs> automatics in those big trucks, they're awesome. Like, it's there, still yeah. a manual there. transmission, but the computer's telling it went to shift. Like, you never miss a shift, right? No, never. Never at all. It's automatic. Yeah. I oh, was in a, in a in a Volvo last year shooting a video of a, of a trucker, uh, Jimmy V, uh, and I was filming his uh, trucker songs and making his yeah. videos for him. So that's how I saw, like, where's the gear shifter? He says, well, it's an automatic. You don't need, there is no shifter. It shifts so real smooth. And you're also a very good friend of uh, a guy that we are going to be uh, affiliated with, GM Blacktop. And he does some amazing trucker stories. In fact, you just recently edited our theme song uh, as well. Uh, so uh, that'll be coming up on the next podcast. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he's, he is the real McCoy, like you are. And his one, his saw his new video that they're going to release Sunday night is called "The Real McCoy." I'm the buddy. I'm the real McCoy, and he is. Yep. He he he's you know he was working with a different company running from from here in Kitchener to California and back and everywhere everywhere like you. Right. And right. Uh, he he changed companies, and now it looks to me like he's 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 in the states a little into Michigan. He was in Kentucky last week, and up to, basically up to Montreal and down to Kentucky is basically. So he's kind of East Coast kind of guy. I think That's you're a West Coaster, aren't you? Um, I'm everywhere actually. I, I I'm a mile hog, so I, I go where the miles are. Uh, now, when when the snow flies, that's a different story. I like to stay in California, Texas, and Arizona. That makes but sense. You still. The thing is, you still have to get to the shit to get to the, the warm weather, and right. and that's like the mountains too, right? Yeah, you have to go get to drive through those god awful mountains, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, GM is definitely the the real deal, and uh, I was listening to his uh, albums, and uh, he's with Indie Tunes Records, just like you are. So yeah. we can give them we can give them a plug as well. Yeah. And Darby yeah. Mills, she's a label mate too. Yes, she is, and so is Helix. Yes. Yeah, Brian Vollmer, who will be coming up on the eye-opener uh, in the near future. He is also, uh, you know, a part of the Indie Tunes family. So it's a it's small world. That Indie Tunes guy, he's got his shit together, I tell you, because, uh, you know, he wouldn't release any Wicked Twin songs without the ISRC codes. <laughs> if, if your song doesn't have an ISRC code embedded into the music, <laughs> the MP3s and stuff, there's no way for the artist to track the song to collect your royalty. So why would you do that to yourself? 
So okay. he's a stickler that way. Nothing goes out the door until it's got an ISRC code on it. Interesting. And, yeah. and speaking of which, I mean, uh, I'm happy to say that we just got licensed. Uh, Highway Freaks is now a licensed podcast. Uh, thank you, Ken. Uh, but uh, what is your opinion on SOCAN? Do, do you have one or do you... Uh, they're, they're, they're a non-profit uh, government organization. I've been with them my whole career. They continue to send me money. I like it when they send me money. I, I noticed that they have they have a short reach, even though they brag that they they're from all over the world. And the only reach I see is Canadian uh, royalty checks generally. And right. you know, like I'll tell you, I'm searching around the internet, going, "Why are my royalty checks higher?" And I find this uh, this uh, one website. What the hell are they called? Uh, Sound Exchange. Okay. And it says uh, we gave away thirty million dollars to musicians last year uh, for royalties. Are you one of them? Sign up free here. I sign up for free. It takes me a week to fill out the paperwork because you got to register every last song. And I wow. think I have 140 or 152 songs now. Mm-hmm. So you have to fill out the paperwork for every song. Did all the work. Took a week. Forgot about it. And six months later, I get like a check for like $5,600 US. First check. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. So, Balmer, Brian Singer of Helix phones me. He goes, hey, Brian, I just got a $5,600 royalty check from Sound Exchange. He goes, who? I said, well, I'll get you set up. And when you when you get your money, don't forget to buy me a case. Of, and then I did that. I do that with everybody. Everybody owes me a case of beer. And you're going to do some more social media. I just contacted you the other night and told you about OnlyFans. So yeah, I now, signed up to them. I just got to finish doing my thing over there. Yeah, yeah. We've got actually one of our podcasters. Uh, she has an OnlyFans account, Ava James, uh, a.k.a. Kristen McDonald. And uh, she is uh, doing pretty well on that site so uh, it's got nothing to do with music but you don't you don't have to have anything to do with music to get on OnlyFans I mean I know a radio announcer that actually uh, you know he cites erotic poetry for young females and man he makes a shitload of money on that that's, so that's an odd story really it, well you know you know I'm, I'm actually giving it some thought for my book temporary satisfaction we've been reading a lot of this on the podcast I think I might go that route down the road so uh, I could be following your footsteps but in a different light so suggested to me this morning that I open a Twitter account and an Instagram account because I don't have either one of those oh, without said, a doubt and he says, even if you don't do anything with the accounts, just open them up and leave them sit there and call it My Wicked Twin. That's yeah. it. Uh, it it's, all, it's all about the downloads and getting your name out there and getting the exposure. I mean, uh, this is something I wrestle with my wife. She goes, well, you're on this and you're on this and you're on this and you're on all these different podcast mediums. Isn't that enough? And I say, no, it's not enough. It's yeah, not I wanna, enough. I want to say so, something else, too. For all you Spotify artists and uh, DistroKid that you're going to release your uh, album, the DistroKid, at the mm-hmm. bottom on the left, it says, let YouTube use this music. Don't click that box. Don't. Okay. Uh, okay. Why is that? Because then YouTube automatically just puts your whole album up on a topic channel. Okay. It generates its own. Oh, it just takes your album cover, and it generates your whole album one song at a time and makes... You got ten songs on there. YouTube generates ten songs. It puts it on its on its own topic channel, and there's your album sitting there. 
What happens if you want to release one at a time? So don't click that box to say share with YouTube. Don't. Right, right. Now, you know... So so let's do a quick drill se session here on, on some people you've met. Uh, we're going to get into a song called Eat My Lover. Is that right, Brent? Is my lover alive? Eat My Lover. Alive. Okay. Alive. Okay. Uh, you can tell us what that's about after this. Okay, right? Yeah. And yeah. I wrote uh, without 
further ado, looking at you, edible, baby, we got lots to do, one of a kind, two to be mine, three is a crowd, it's time to saddle up, make my luck, make my day. <laughs> I bet you, does your wife like that one? Yeah, all the love songs are basically about my wife, all, any any love song, the sum of two people, and any of them. Yeah, and, and you're a grandpa as well, aren't you? Yes, sir, I am. My daughter has a little girl, little boy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, You were telling me about that as well. So, what are your hobbies? What do you What do you like to do? Write music. Right. Right. Write lyrics. Do you camp? Do you fish? Any of that stuff? Like camping, don't like fishing, don't like boats. I don't watch sports. Okay. I watch NASCAR sometimes. Okay. Sometimes that's it. Like I say, I watch very little anything. uh, You know. Watching a, a golf game is like watching paint dry, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I agree with you on that. Uh, it's a great game to play, but it's not the greatest thing to watch. Now, uh, golf is for dorks, okay? Golf is for dorks. <laughs> there's there's another song title. Golf is for dorks. I don't have any. This is my hobby and my thrill. It is what I do. Uh, is is just songwriting, I guess. I, so we're we're, we're going to do some rapid stuff. We're going to do some. I'm going to I'm going to mention some names and just you you in a you know a sentence or two tell me what you think of them. Okay. All right. Lemmy of Motorhead. Crazy guy. I liked him. Okay. Uh, uh, I wouldn't do uh, speed with him. He offered it to me. I just uh, great guy. I think he was awake for three days uh, when we did uh, uh, we did like Indiana, Detroit. Uh, I forget where we did five five shows here where the crowd almost ate us alive. Okay. And uh, they were awake for three days on blowing vodka. Nice guy. Okay, but a hard rock partier, obviously. Hard. Gene Simmons of Kiss. Great guy. Uh, he was friendly to me. He was chasing me around in the catering in Spain there uh, with an empty pot and a big chasing me going, I want to cook you. Chasing me going, I want to cook you with my pot. Funny guy, um, smart guy, invited me into the dressing room on the first show in Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, offered me everything. They got booze, food, everything in the dressing room and a, and a seamstress in there sewing their clothes that they take with them. And, uh, they don't drink, but they got booze for everybody who does. Right? And I went to a couple of parties with Gene and uh, Brian May of Queen. Went to a nightclub uh, in Germany, and uh, Gene had a, a virgin drink of some sort, a drink with no alcohol. And Brian and I, uh, Brian and I, drank beer. Brian May and I, pretty cool. David Coverdale. David Coverdale, White Snake. I I think I said hello to him uh, somewhere in like Arizona, I think. Right. Uh, I met his girlfriend, Tawny, somebody, the hot chick. I met her Tawny there. Katane. Tawny Katane. Tawny the, the, the rest in peace. They were all, all high as f*** on blow, and I just steered clear of the whole thing. Okay. Quiet Riot. Uh, I liked, I liked the guitar player, Carlos Cavazza. Yes. Uh, singer was high as f*** on blow. Uh, yeah. And I, and, uh... I just steered clear to all, I stayed clear of all that shit, and uh, what I, uh, I like, and but Carlos, he had a little baby practice amp with about a 12-inch speaker, just a one little baby amp. Uh, that was the amplifier behind the behind the big Marshall stacks where the mic was, and they were oh, miking wow. that little baby amplifier for his life. Yeah, come on, feel the noise, their biggest hit. Yep. Yeah. I think yeah. we did five or 12 shows, guys. White, quiet, right? 
Dan McCafferty, the late Dan McCafferty of Nazareth. Did you ever nice meet him? Nice guy. Nice guy. I played with him five times. All the all the Nazareth guys were nice guys. Uh, you know, the last time I played with him, I got caught in the elevator. The elevator broke, and I was supposed to be on stage, and I couldn't get out of the, whole, the elevator for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And they okay. busted open. They busted <laughs> elevator doors open and got me out. I went straight on stage and played. That was, you know, that was the last time I see him before Dan died. Yeah, yeah, that was my very first band. That uh, that uh, was it was basically Nazareth Queen, uh, and uh, you know then then from there it got into Scorpions and uh, White Snake and Def Leppard. But Nazareth was my very first band. I remember the album quite clearly. You know the dogs on the on the front of the cover. Mine was Razmanaz album. Razmanaz, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that's a that's a very good one. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But yeah, Nazareth is a great band. So, um, anybody else that you you met that uh, is the female version that uh, you would uh, tell our freaks out there? I don't know. I think it's just the Heart Girls. You know, uh, you know, I I met uh, Eddie Van Halen and his brother. Uh, they came into our dressing room in St. Louis when we played with Heart that night. Okay. So we played a couple of different shows uh, with Heart. One was in a theater and. So I'm on stage. I'm playing my lead solo the, during the Helix show, mm-hmm. and the, I noticed the crowd was going a little crazy for my solo. And then I finished my solo. We go finish up the set, and then we say good night. And I walk off stage, and Eddie Van Halen stand there. He goes, "Hey, sorry, man. I was just joking around." I go, "Wow, Eddie Van Halen. Holy fuck!" He goes, "Yeah, I was standing behind you while you were doing your solo, and I was mimicking you, right?" Well, I didn't know that. I was wondering why the crowd was going so nuts because Eddie Van Halen was behind me. Oh. On stage during my solo. Like, you don't look around to see if somebody's behind you. Oh, wow. So then I didn't even know what to say to him after that. So I just said, hey, why don't you uh, come up to our dressing room? He goes, sure. (laughs) We went two, two flights of stairs up to our dressing room. They had this big black guy with them and him and Alex, uh, the black guy was their bodyguard and and uh, I got a picture of Eddie wearing my guitar. He was he laid it down on his lap flat, so strings up, and he was playing both hands tapping and playing. Fucking amazing. Right. Wow. Now that that's that's some classic memories right there. That, yeah. that is real that is really cool. And he's not a very tall guy, is he? He wasn't no, very tall. We were about the same size. Oh yeah? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have uh, some country influence sounding music. Uh, especially in the old decibel band that you had. Uh, who influenced you in the country music scene, and, and are you going to carry on with some country music, friend? Um, my twin brother kept pushing me on, oh, listen to this, uh, Rascal Flatts, and a bunch of bands, a bunch of really great Canadian country artists. So we put together a country band, and then uh, as we were all already professionals, so to speak, uh, we picked a, uh, a, a set list of, let's say, 40 songs, and we all agreed we were going to learn all 40 songs, but we wouldn't learn, learn them all at the same time. So let's say next Wednesday, a week from tonight, you're going to show up at band practice, and you're going to know these seven songs. You're going to know them really well, right? Because it's the only way a band that starts from scratch and learns 40 songs. You can't do them all, and you want to get it right. So... Uh, my job was, of course, to copy the solos on these country songs. And I started, I'm sitting at home, I'm going, how the hell are these guys playing this? And I started taking tutorials and, and checking out flat picking and how it all worked and open string picking. 
And I slowly over the years got that style of picking because I, I could see these guys are playing really fast, a lot, a lot of notes, but on their left hand is not moving very much, but their right hand is really busy because they're using open string picking and double picking, right? And I just love that thing. And I got the feel for all of that over a number of years, and I can't shake the feeling of I can't play rock guitar anymore without my country hand getting in the way. You know, it wants a double pick and shit with <laughs> rather than just a pick. You're using a pick and two fingers, right? So you're using have three you ever, fingers. Have you ever played the banjo? Uh, no, but I do know, remember a Sweet City Woman by the... Canadian band, Sweet City Stan Woman? Peters. Stan Peters. The Stan Peters. Okay, so when we played with those guys, the, that guitar player told me that he didn't know how to play banjo either, but you can hear it on Sweet City Woman. Mm -hmm. So he said, I just took a banjo and tuned it to a guitar, and that's what you hear on the record. I went, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> Simple things in life. Yeah, so wow. that's what I'm doing with the mandolin and some of the songs for My Wicked Twin is... Uh, I don't stick to the mandolin tuning because the mandolin is basically a four-string instrument, but they're in pairs, so they're in octaves, right? But basically, right. you could call it a four-string instrument. So I'll just tune the mandolin to what I'm, whatever I'm after for that song, right? Like, uh, yeah. For uh, I forget, uh, I got a couple of country songs on, on there. You're right. Uh, on the Twin Turbo or Three Engines, what did I have there? That country song. Um, yeah, I don't remember now. Uh, I can't recall. Well, I do a lot of you songs. Think, you, you think about it. We'll come back. We have a few more questions to uh, to ask Brent before we finish off the eye opener uh, interview. Here it is. Give me peace from the madness.
Okay, so we're back. Uh, just finishing off the eye-opener interview with uh, Brent Derner, formerly of Helix, and now my wicked twin. So, Brent, what would be considered as your favorite lyricist, and why would that be? Hands down, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's just a, or I guess more so than John Lennon. He just, he could take like the song Dear Prudence. That's about his dog. Right. Right. <laughs> he writes a beautiful piece of mastery song. It sounds like he's totally in love. And it's about his dog. I I could probably write a poet, uh, 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 some poetry about my dog, Bandit. Uh, yeah, people don't need to know it's a dog. Maybe your girlfriend's name's Bandit. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's my boy. He's, he's my guy. He's my trucking boy. Right. So, yeah, so you edit and produce a great deal of musical co- content on YouTube for singers and bands. Now, how did you get into that? And if you have any name-dropping of some people of, of who you represent, you certainly can mention it. You don't have to. But uh, how did you get into something like that? Like, that's just not a usual thing to do. I don't know. I was writing, uh, because I have my film company, I end up uh, being hired by bands to film their music videos, right? Well, all my customers end up being my best friends, too, after that. So then, you know, the one guy, Frank Trousdell, I, I did a bunch of his videos, and I said, well, why don't we write this stuff together? And I just sent him my idea, and, and next thing I know, I got a song on his album, and... Uh, you know, I've got my trucker song that I wrote running out of time, and I think GM Blacktop might put that song on his album. You oh, know, right uh, on. And, and some of these people, uh, a girl named Patty Green in Hamilton, I had her sing for me, and I thought if she ever does an album, she can do my, my song, my pop song, Play With Cake. That's the name of that song. And, oh, I don't know, uh, a lot of these the living room rock stars, I did their music videos, ended up, uh, you know, I gave them a song title, and we did a little co-writing, and that song ended up on their album, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, but this one guy over in Denmark from Facebook says, if I send you a guitar lick, will you, will you write to it? I said, well, send me the lick. So he sends me the lick, and I like it. So I write the song. And I give the guy a song credit on SoCan, right? So I registered and I do a screen capture to show him that I'm not stealing his song, that I registered the song, and here's a screen capture of SoCan, right? And then he tells me that he didn't actually write the lick he sent it to me. It was from another guitar player from another country. But he led me to believe that he wrote it. So that I had to go back into SoCan, get rid of that guy's name, put the real songwriter guitar player and the guy's not my friend, never even heard of this guy. And uh, and I find him on Facebook and say, hey, I wrote a song to your lick, and here's a screen capture of uh, I'm giving you 50% of the song royalties, right? Right. So, so like, get, who are you? Name, get lost. His name's probably Sven. <laughs> no, the guy who uh, wrote it, his name's Carl. Oh, okay. Of course, go figure, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so this guy was like going, and that, that song ended up being This Old Dog, as a matter of fact, what we talked about earlier. Right. He wrote that guitar lick, and I wrote the rest of it. So, yeah, some of these people send me what they call songs, but they're not really songs. They're just a bunch of music. Well, everybody can do that all day long, every day of the week. A song is when it has lyrics and melody. That's when it's a song. Right. And, right. and I found out, too, that you, like even though I used that guy's guitar player's uh, lick for the 
this old dog, because it didn't have any lyrics or melody, I can actually just claim it as my own legally, but I'm not a prick. So I gave him 50% of the songwriters royalties. Oh, but that's... you can actually take somebody's song, which is just just the music, and if you write over it with lyrics and, and melodies, uh, you can actually claim it as your own and not give the other the royalty. That's wrong, so I don't do it. But you are but you can legally do that. Yeah, isn't that called and, creative expression or something? Something like that, yeah. I don't think it's right. No, I don't think... So I just, hey, you know... What did I make on, on Spotify last year? Six bucks. Well, I'll split it with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind that's of... That's, that's, kind that's of like, for the, all the albums. That's just that song. I think that's like the money that we made from Spreaker. I think we made enough money to get a, a coffee at McDonald's. Wasn't that right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, uh, the last the last thing I want to ask you, and, and we definitely want to have you come back again. Uh, I know Will's in the same agreement, my producer, as as I, that, you know, you have just so many stories. And, you know, this is just literally scratching the surface or, as the saying, licking the icing off the cake. So you're, what, 60-something? 65. 65. 65. So, I mean, you're, you're still doing this. Uh, you have no doesn't look like you have any plans of slowing down. So what's the future for Brett Turner? Well, like I said, I've got uh, album six, which is, uh, I'm not sure yet what the title is going to be. I mentioned it earlier that it could be uh, Happily Never After. I'm looking in my folder now, and I see all my songs in there. I've got a folder for Wicked Twin six album, and i got a folder for, uh, for that artist that we won't name or I'll have to kill you. Right. That I want right. to create. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you. An, I'll give you another hint. If you want to. If you want to name a, an album or name a title, you can certainly use our Highway Freaks. We'd be more than honored to to, to have you do that. So. Right on. Maybe that could be a, a, a highway song. Highway music. Yeah. yeah. The Highway Freaks. You know, I've got this new album, Untitled. I've got one of the songs called A Noon Walk on the Asylum Lawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, one's called I'm Nobody Approved. I've I'm, got nobody a called, I'm Nobody Approved. I like yeah. it. Yeah, and I've got a song called A Sickle-Shaped Moon. Sickle-Shaped Moon. Yeah, and one called Eye Giant. This is an iPhone, so Eye Giant. It's hard okay. to fit through the door when you're 20 foot tall. And then I got a song called Medicine Man. I took all I could with uh, anything related to uh, an idiot. Tried to take anything medicine man and people to turn it into a love song kind of thing. I got this other song called uh, Undo You. I'm going to undo you in that dirty dress. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's, I think this is starting to run downhill. Um, anyway, Brett, you, you definitely opened up our eyes to a 40-year-plus rock musician's life. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's been uh, it's been such such fun. Uh, hey, to, and to it's Friday this. afternoon, and you know what time that is? Hey, it's beer time, right? Yeah. Well, there's one thing we're gonna leave everybody with. It's called "Breathe My Name," and uh, we will definitely uh, see you again real soon in the future because uh, I want to follow up with some a few more things that we just haven't even talked about in our conversation. So, thanks so much. That was thanks for uh, having was... me on on Highway Freaks, you guys.